Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Don Around Monologue podcast. I'm your solo host for these, as always, Bo. And before we get into continuing our discussions of Tetsuya Namira today, I do want to thank our sponsor, Ashley Lumian K. She could be found on Instagram at the Minnesota Nurse. Give, excuse me, give her a follow and uh, just check out some of the cool content that she's putting out. So, guys, uh, today we are talking about uh, my favorite Final Fantasy of all time. And I didn't realize it until I was older, but all the reasons it's my favorite Final Fantasy of all time is because it is the Final Fantasy that, to its top to date, when it was released, the date when it was released, has the most influence from uh, Mr. Tetsuya Nomura in it, um, and that is Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII was the first game that I was ever hyped for its release. Uh, I had a subscription to a magazine called Electronic Gaming Monthly. I had discovered Final Fantasy VII just a few months before the announcement of this game, and so by the time I played it, I just wanted more and more Final Fantasy, all the Final Fantasy to get my hands on. And so seeing screenshots of this game, playing the demo that came with, uh, I can't remember what game the demo came with, it was either Brave Fence or Musashi, uh, which Tetsuya Nomura worked on, or uh, Parasite Eve, which Tetsuya Nomura worked on. I can't remember which game it was, but it came with a demo disc for Final Fantasy VIII, and I was just in love. Um, couldn't wait to play this game. And so uh, Tetsuya Nomura uh, took on a lot of responsibilities for this game. He was chief character designer, and he completely designed the characters. Personality, name, design, background. He fully wrote their backgrounds. He had, And because he fully wrote their backgrounds, he had an insane influence on the story of Final Fantasy VIII. He was the monster designer, and he was the battle coordinator. So, um, And he worked very closely with the director, Yusuke Naora, and they worked together to make the to make it to where Nomura's design encompassed the game. And, and what I mean by that is he made it to where uh, they abandoned the signature super deformed style of the characters in the field. Uh, the characters in the field appear roughly the same way they do in battle, roughly the same way they do in cutscenes. There, there's a consistency there that was never there in a Final Fantasy before. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII has a very colorful world. Uh, the darkness, uh, the darkness and grittiness of Final Fantasy VII is gone. Um, Final Fantasy VIII chooses to tell its story in a different way and didn't need those theme, those thematic elements present. So, uh, and because he designed the monsters and the characters, he was able to completely use his own art style. Completely. He, he had nothing else to prove. He had proven himself over amazingly. They were willing to let him run away with it. And this is the first game where we see pure Tetsuya Nomura in all these designs. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I think it's the most unjustly maligned Final Fantasy game. I think people just weren't ready for it after uh, Final Fantasy VII. But I'm glad they took a dramatic different direction with it. Uh, I love the draw system. I love the battle system in Final Fantasy VIII. The limit breaks make a return. Uh, because, of course, he was the battle coordinator. He decided a lot of how battles would go, and he would use a lot of this knowledge later in his uh, career when he finally got to direct his own game. But Final Fantasy VIII uh, takes place in a much more colorful world. Uh, there's cars present, um, the, the, and one of Nomura's chief influences on his art style, fashion magazines. Nomura loves fas Japanese fashion magazines, and that would come through a lot in these character designs, a lot in this world design. I, I do want to clarify, he was the visual director of the battles, but he had an influence over certain other elements as well. And he completely wrote these character backgrounds, as I stated earlier, which meant that he had a lot of influence over the story. The story coordinators were consulting with him a lot. And uh, we only have six party members in Final Fantasy VIII. 
that's the lowest that it had been for a while. Uh, gosh, I think since Final Fantasy three, uh, I think, which of course only featured four main characters. Uh, no, five only had four main characters as well, I believe. Yeah, I don't think you switched your party out at all in five. But, uh, you know, you had like 13 and six. Uh, I think there was like nine and seven. Um, so the fact that we're dropping back down to six is pretty big. There was only three characters present in a battle again in Final Fantasy VIII, much like in Final Fantasy VII. And, of course, you can only switch them out at save points or on the world map. So we have this bright character design. We have these realistic-looking people. We have a completely different-looking Final Fantasy. And if Final Fantasy VII had abandoned the traditional fantasy setting, Final Fantasy VIII went full-blown sci-fi. There's some crazy, crazy world design going on in Final Fantasy VIII, and I personally love it. And we also are introduced to uh, the summons, which uh, we could clearly tell from his work on games, period, through the rest of his career, that Tetsuya Nomura loves summons. They're featured extremely prominently in Final Fantasy VIII. With the uh, use of the Guardian Force system, everything you do in battle has to do with what summons you have equipped to which characters. So, in, in Final Fantasy VIII, we have the most... I love it because it's the most original Final Fantasy yet. Um... Uh, Dragon Quest, as I've said a billion times before, Dragon Quest is a series that is notable for its tradition. Each and every Dragon Quest that comes out reminds us of the origins of the JRPG with the original Dragon Quest. Every Final Fantasy that comes out reminds us of the potential of the JRPG by constantly evolving. Um, in fact, once Nomura came on board, this series really started to take off and really started to do different things. Um, so, but again... His main responsibility for Final Fantasy VIII was character design, so let's get a bit into that. We'll start with uh, Squall Leonhardt. Uh, Tetsuya Nomura loves lions. What the first drawing he ever did was of a lion, a lion uh, when he was a child. He just has a thing with the animal of lions, and Squall is the one that's uh, probably the most lion-like. His name's Squall Leonhardt, which of course is a uh, you know a reference to Lionheart. I believe his ultimate weapon is the lion heart as well in this game. And uh, he has a pendant of a lion, and he's a very aloof, very proud individual. Uh, I remember when the game first came out, they said he was whiny, but if you actually look, he's very proud and angsty and reserved is what it is. He doesn't want to do things that are beneath him. He doesn't want to work with people that don't match his seriousness. He understands his skill level and wants to be utilized at that skill level, and he wants to be taken seriously. He is very much the personality that we have uh, that we human beings have assigned to an animal to this animal in every single culture. Uh, he, he, he now it almost borders on arrogance until we get more explanation of why he feels the way he does, but he clearly, clearly cares for other people. Um, he does not relish in seeing his fellow students in danger. Um, he takes his responsibility to others very seriously and he has a lot of growing to do. But in so many ways, he's already very, he's already worlds more mature than the rest of the cast at the beginning of the game. I do want to point out that almost everyone in this game is canonically 17 years old. They're still high school students. So to counteract that, we have, and, and the, the, the main theme of Final Fantasy VIII is love. Final Fantasy VIII is a love story, which was very, very, very weird for 1999. Uh, JRPGs 
typically had a very Hollywood summer blockbuster romance in them, but they wanted to do a more real romance, more real than even they did in Final Fantasy VII. So the love triangle's abandoned. Um, it's pretty clear in the beginning of the game that Quistus, the instructor, who is only a year older than all, all the other students and who accompanies them on their adventure, she is uh, sort of has... A, a, a sort of confused feeling for a squall at the beginning of the game, which we get explained later um, through another character. But uh, for Squall's love interest in this game and whose love interest is Squall in this game, we have uh, Renoa Hartley, who um, she's very Aerith-like in her design, but not really. She is free-spirited, but with a very grounding sense of responsibility. And uh, she's very idealistic and proud. She leads a resistance group. She, where Squall lives for his responsibility, Squall lives for his task, Squall lives for his station in life, she lives to make a better world. And we find out later it's in defiance of her father, but also in just rooting her ideology, she really teaches Squall that there's something to believe in. And it feels less like she's just there to influence the male character as much as the male character is there to be influenced by her. She's a very complete character. I think she's the first female character that, uh, a woman character that Tetsuya Namira designed that really is a, a full character. She, she could exist on her own in, in, in the vacuum of the game. And I think that's very important about Renoa, and I think that's very cool that she was the first uh, woman character in Final Fantasy to be involved in a dedicated love story because she is, in every way, Squall's equal, just the opposite. And so um, Final Fantasy VIII also introduced a character archetype that would become very typical for uh, Tetsuya Namira in his later works, and that is the bro character. <laughs> um, uh, the character of Zeldinched is... Uh, he is... It, it, if if Nomura has a punk influence, it's seen nowhere more prominently than uh, Zeldinch. Zeldinch has a face tattoo. Zeldinch has spiky blonde hair. He wears baggy shorts, and he is constantly getting in trouble at Balam Garden, the uh, the seed student school, um, which I know I'm going to be throwing a lot of terms here, but uh, we will discuss the story of Final Fantasy VIII later. I just really want to get into uh, Nomura's chief influence. Though he did influence the story, the character designs are really where it's at, and that's where we can learn the most about him for Final Fantasy VIII. But he's always getting in trouble for being on his hoverboard in class. And Zell, Zell is, uh, he, he wants to take things seriously, like Squall does. He looks up to Squall, even though they're peers, but he just can't. He's still, he's, he's hot-headed. He, he's, he's everything that Squall isn't. But the friendship that they form through that is uh, very cool. And, I, and, and Squall would never admit for the entirety of the game that Zell is his bro, but it becomes very clear near the end of the game that Squall would do anything for his friend Zell. Um, another character that we have in this game that I think is very cool is Irving Canaeus. And Irving Canaeus has a complete cowboy design. Uh, that that's pretty much everything about uh, Irving. He's cool. He's laid back. He's all about the ladies. But what's cool about this is in any other JRPG, and they could have gotten away with it in this, that would have been fine. Just a lady, just a womanizing cowboy that is really is a really good shot. That'd be enough for any other game. But this is Tetsuya Nomura, and he's not going to leave it just there. It, all of that is a front. 
all that is a front for Irving. He's very insecure on the inside. He's very emotionally attached to certain people. Um, although at the beginning of the game, he's hitting on selfie and, and doing everything to show that he's only interested in maybe a one night stand or a fling. Uh, it becomes very clear later that he actually does care for him. And, the, the background of these six characters, the reason why these six characters are going to the adventure is they were all raised in the same, or seven characters, sorry. We'll talk about this next character next. But they were all raised in the same orphanage as children. They just don't remember. But Irving does. He remembers the minute he sees them all again, and he remembers growing up with them. So uh, what's cool about that is it's a front. It's a sham. And I've always found that to be a very cool character thing, to have this super confident fellow or this, you know, someone who everything about his character that you learn turns out later to just be a front to hide something else to sort of cover it up because people do this in real real life all the time. Yeah. We're, we're constantly doing this. Everyone, most people you meet, there's uh, when people have these strong personality traits, there's a good chance that they're just hiding something else deep down. And I think it's a very cool thing about uh, Irving. It's something that's always spoke to me about his character because, um, you know, uh, the famous Jim Carrey line in the movie The Mask, we all wear masks. Um, so the last character I want to talk about in this game and the last element of uh, Nomura's design I want to talk about this game is the character of Cypher. Cypher is the villain that's not a villain. Cypher is everything that Squall isn't. The, not just in the sense of Zell because... Squall doesn't have to grow to become more like Cypher. Cypher has to grow to become more like him. And the minute this game starts, we're shown the contrast between these two characters. They're having a duel, in fact. Cypher is extremely idealistic, and although if Renoa is idealistic in all the right ways, Cypher is idealistic in every single wrong way. Uh, Cypher is clad fully in white. Squall is clad fully in black. Not only is there the just the chief, I mean, the most classic nose on the head, contrast you'd have of black and white there's also the fact that cypher sees himself as a noble idealistic knight that is going to live for something greater than he is squall sees himself as grounded in responsibility living for something bigger than he is but only in so far as his duty is concerned the very beginning of the game the first thing we see is they're having a duel squall is clearly winning cypher blasts him with magic which was clearly against the rule cypher is willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done squall is much more pragmatic much more by the book um, and then they, of course, give each other the scars that they'll carry for the rest of the game. Uh, Cypher early on in the game is put in charge of a mission dealing with, uh, dealing with something and Cypher disobeys his orders to go against something and Squall follows him because he is following the orders of his squad mate. Uh, Squall understands that this will exonerate him. He knows that what Cypher wants to do is probably the correct thing to do, but he understands that because he's just following orders, that will exonerate him later, but Cypher won't be so safe. Zell feels uncomfortable with it all because, of course, the whole situation is overall wrong, and he, of course, is more about his feelings than pragmatism, but Squall's pragmatism had figured out the whole situation. Squall... Uh, Cypher, of course, holds this against the other characters for the remainder of the game. And Cypher remember, and Cypher was one of the children raised in the orphanage. And though he didn't remember at the time of the event I just spoke of, he remembers uh, roughly around the same time that Irvin does. But he still feels that he lives for something much larger. We will get some sort of uh, closure with Cypher before the game ends. And because Cypher's the villain, but he's not. There's a greater villain in Final Fantasy VIII. We'll discuss that in another video. But w w the fact that Cypher was 
I mean, the, the game starts by showing that rivalry with Squall, and the fact that Squall gets closure with Cypher before the game ends, I think, is one of the coolest ideas that Tetsuya Nomura ever had, that kind of closure in a JRPG for something that... Because it's very easy in these kind of games to just forget story elements as the game goes on. Like, you just sort of put something on the wayside and you don't ever revisit it. But that closure, and this game gives closure on almost every story element. It's so good. Um, so, if you hated Final Fantasy VIII, please give Final Fantasy VIII another try. Uh, the HD remaster is available for every major platform of the current gen, including Steam. The Steam version has more options to make the game easier, but uh, all versions have some quality of life measures added to them. So, guys, I, I would really encourage you to check that out. While you're checking that out, check out uh, our link to the invite to our Discord. We would love to have you involved in the conversation at all all parts of the day. That's We would love to do that. And you could have 24-hour access to the Donorom team through Discord. Um, the Patreon's still up, which is all, has some cool um, exclusive content already on there and more to be added we have links to our merchandise which features that lovely shirt I've been wearing I've been wearing it so much that it's actually in the laundry currently Our the book that we wrote which we have another book on the way and uh, guys uh, there, you'll notice another link down there a link to the rest of the rally network please check out our partners there for even more podcasts if you want to listen to podcasts on subjects other than the uh, the greatness of video games But guys, most importantly, until I see you tomorrow, please have a good day.